Welcome to episode 69 of the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. Hello, my name is Michael and I'm joined by my wife, Marsha. Hello. And uh, on this show, we talk about what it means to live with less stuff and more compassion. And if you don't know already, we run a website at theminimalistvegan.com where we share delicious vegan recipes, articles, and where you can find the rest of our podcast episodes as well. But today we're going to be talking about status, how it relates to a culture where we need to prove things to each other, where we want to seek more to be respected and how that plays into the ideals of minimalism and um, some of the traps we have fallen into and continue to get restricted by on a daily basis, as well as some learnings that we can take from Nordic cultures like Denmark and Norway and Finland and Sweden. And, And we're going to finish this conversation with some ways that we can perhaps shift the conversation away from what do you do for work so uh this is going to be a fun conversation and and a good follow-up from our last episode where we talked about the future of work so very excited to jump into that one um but before we do just a quick note from our sponsor this episode is sponsored by boomy if you're anything like us and you care about conscious consumerism you'll love the range of products that boomy has on offer Not only are all their products ethically made in fair trade certified factories, but they also only use premium organic cotton, which means no harmful pesticides, no toxic dyes, and there's no child or exploitative labor involved. Their new sustainable luxurious plush towels create the atmosphere of having your very own spa oasis. They're absorbent and super soft, making you feel like you're wrapped up in a cozy cloud. Who needs a luxury hotel or a day spa, especially in these times when you can have all of that in the comfort of your home every single day? We have a special offer for our listeners, giving you 25% off store-wide using the discount code MINIMALISTVEGAN at checkout. T's and C's apply. To learn more about Boomi and their full range, visit boomi.com.au. That's b-h-u-m-i.com.au. Now on to the show. So today we're going to be taking a closer look at status and how status plays a role in our lives and in our society. So when you meet someone for the first time and without even realizing we're actually assessing where their job is, their education, where they live, where their kids go to school, even just the clothes that they're wearing, like physical appearance, you know, maybe the car that they drive as well and their cultural background. So more often than not, they're actually doing the exact same thing back to us. And I think that can put a lot of pressure on us without even realizing it. So I think that we need to start asking the questions of how healthy is status classification? Why does it matter so much to us? These are some of the things that we're going to be discussing. And we're going to share some personal stories throughout as well as uh, wrapping it all up and using minimalism in shifting that perspective of our identity and our value and how we can change this conversation moving forward. So to get started, we just want to have a chat about some of the questions that we generally tend to ask when we meet someone for the first time. So what would you generally ask someone? Yeah, I, I mean, I fall into the trap all the time of asking people what they do, mm. like what they do for a living. Is that typically the first thing that pops into your mind? Um, Because that kind of gives people a gauge, right? Like, okay, now I can place you in that box and then we can build upon this conversation based on that. Absolutely. Because, I mean, we, you know, for many of us, we spend so much time at work, right? Mm. So what we do professionally can give us a little bit of data and feedback about who somebody is but that can also come with a lot of social anxiety if you're not particularly happy with what you're doing for a living or Or it's really difficult to explain or if it's difficult to explain or you're in a transition period or you're not working right like there's all these other situations and and i think we can be pretty quick to judge each other on it but at the same time if you have an employment or a job that you're really proud of then it's an opportunity to sort of flex and to boast about it it. so and i think therein lies part of the issue as you said before is because it puts that pressure on yourself and in many societies it actually it's that status is what drives us to consume more Mm. (laughs) what drives us to get the next 
promotion at work for the job title you can put on LinkedIn or your business card or what you write on your Instagram profile or your Twitter profile or um, you know what suburb that you want to finally move to so you can be part of that club per se in that area or, or what university college you want to be a part of which shows the world that you're a Stanford graduate or you went to Oxford or whatever it is and that drives us to want more um, sometimes for the wrong reason sometimes it's okay because generally we just want to challenge ourselves to put ourselves in the best situation professionally and that's totally fine and there's a time and place for status and using that to achieve your goals like if you're going to do a if you're going to present a talk to somebody about a very specific topic, you're going to want to show that audience straight out of the gates that you know what you're talking about, that you're credible about it, right? Yeah. Um, but when it gets to the point where we're talking about status to prove something to each other, externally motivated, um, it's, it's more from a place of ego and pride um, than it is from a place necessarily of passion and interest and curiosity. So... Um, that's the challenge with it. But it is one of those things that I have to catch myself doing. But it's, it's definitely when I meet somebody for the first time, there is that exchange of like, what do you do for a living? Um, is, is normally the foundation of that conversation. Not always, but normally. Mm. And is there any other questions that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, contextually, you know, I have to... Yeah, it depends on where it is that, that you're meeting yeah. the person. You know, if you're meeting them in their work environment then it's like, well, you clearly see what I do for work. Yes. (laughs) And I think it also depends, you know, like if you're new to town, I think that can get asked of you quite a lot. Oh, like, did you move here for work? Or what do you do for work? You know, why did you come here? Mm. And where have you decided to live? And Mm. all that sort of stuff. So I think, again, if you're a fresh face in a society, Mm. then they want to see where they can fit you within that society, Mm. you know. I, I probably more experienced the cultural impact, I'd yeah. say. Uh, I mean, this is just real talk, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, there's not many black people here in, in Tasmania. So I get a lot of eyeballs just because it's, it's someone of my color is not common. And uh, people then want to start a dialogue around where I've come from. Yeah. That's very... That's that's probably a more common. You're not Tasmanian, <laughs> correct? Uh, they assume I'm not Tasmanian. Assume I'm not Australian. So they they um like you know I was just walking a dog the other day and somebody started speaking French to me. That's uh, just bizarre. Uh, <laughs> thinking I'd speak French to him back. So so a lot of my interactions start. It's a cultural assumption mm. and status. Um, which is probably a conversation for a whole different podcast, which we probably won't cover on this show anyway. But, um, you know, if I'm honest, that's probably where it starts more. But certainly, like, if we're at a... um, Not that we go out to, like, house parties, particularly now with with the way things are at the moment, but I know, like, when we've been at weddings, weddings are a really good example of, you know, when you get put on a table... Um, no, I think with a I've, bunch of people, that's when the, jo- the the whole thing, what do you do for a living yeah, kind of comes up. I think up. one of the first things, though, before you even get into that as an icebreaker, oh, how do you know the bride and groom? Yeah, okay, <laughs> true, true. So it's more contextual to that. Yeah, yeah. so the, then you can like, oh, well, here's the backstory. Oh, like I go to work with Dane or, you know, like right. it can... Then again, it's like sizing each other up, trying to fit each other into where you fall into this storyline, but... Yeah, um, and you know what? I think, in in defence for humanity, I think we're 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 just trying to find common ground. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's 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 all we're trying to establish. I don't, but I just don't know um, when the work thing became so apparent in how yeah. we interact. But yeah, we're we're just trying to find some common ground, some sort of overlap in our interests that we can relate to each other with. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 that's completely understandable. But yeah. So based on that, like in the past, when have you, where have you had moments where you felt like that inadequacy or where you wanted to prove yourself to someone? Yeah. And I I think certainly it's existed more professionally if there's some vulnerabilities there. And, and, you know, one example, a recent example that comes to mind is around social media because, you know, we work online and. I suppose part of our job is to reach people and have followers across various platforms um, and traffic being the main thing. But 
uh, when I was at this cafe that I go to regularly, I got talking with a, one of the young staff members there uh, and he asked me, like, you know, you're here every morning. What is it that you're doing exactly? And I was explaining, oh, I'm... I'm so is that the first time you've actually spoken to him? Yeah, properly. Normally it's just, um, oh, here you are again. Yep, there's your coffee. Yeah, yeah, like really small talk. But eventually he's just like, yeah, what, what, what are you doing? Like, it's, it's really interesting. And so I was explaining, yeah, you know, I'm just writing for, for our website and for some clients. And uh, I was showing him the website. And um, because I just find, because he was next to my computer, I'm like, oh, it's way easier to just show him rather than to explain it. Um, because what what we do is still a little bit unique for a lot of people. So yeah, he was looking at a website. It's like, wow, the, you know, I'm a photographer and your photography is really nice. I'm like, yeah, that's my wife. And he's like, oh, great. That looks really good, really professional. And um, we're clicking through some like social media and showing him like Instagram and then um, went to YouTube. And uh, we're not very big on YouTube. We've got about 1,500 subscribers, um, you know, and just, just under a dozen videos on there. And the first thing he did when he went to YouTube is look at the subscriber count. Mm. And I could see his his brain sort of... Devalue the rest of the... <laughs> processing like, okay, um, how many subscribers is how much respect I'm going to place on this channel, right? And um, I felt it. I felt it in the, in, in the room and the energy. And I almost felt compelled to sort of like break things down properly in terms of our reach and our traffic that we get to our website see, and all of this stuff ego talking. exactly right <laughs> and that's what i mean by this this word like this proofy this proofiness that we tend to have in these situations because mm. it's like our status is being questioned yeah or we want to look better you know as, as like we want to put our best foot forward and look as credible as we can to people mm. and i had to catch myself i was actually had a good conversation about this with my um with my coach um about you know how she felt the same about these moments of like you know we become more or less our business card or we become the amount of followers that we have or we, you know, we become the the role that we hold um, in our place of employment. And, um, yeah, so it was just a really interesting reflection to see how I felt in that moment mm. and how he was classifying me. But that's completely natural. And we see it all the time, particularly in our space, yeah. is if you, you know, if you have half a million followers on Instagram, generally speaking, you're going to uh, spend your time interacting with people with a similar amount of followers, mm. you know. Um, there's a unspoken kind of tiered social society around some of these status signals. But, yeah, that's a recent example I could think of. Yeah, it's interesting. I think social media has actually amplified that quite a lot. Oh, yeah. And even people that don't have businesses, younger generations in particular, like they base their whole worth on how many Instagram followers or TikTok followers they have and how many comments. And like I know some people that are probably seven, eight years younger than us that literally the whole day revolves around two pictures which one is better to, to post and which one is going to get more likes and comments. And so it's interesting how the digital age has even taken that from like face-to-face -to, -face to bringing it online. But that's a whole podcast in itself. But it's just interesting to see how social media actually has amplified that even more. Yeah, well, you know, you're right. It's absolutely about followers in addition, it's also about how we portray ourselves in profiles yeah. as well. Yeah. Because, again, that's a, that's a status thing. Mm. This could be in the context of wanting to find those same people on network or could yeah. be just the flex or whatever. Yeah. But you're right. The digital age has certainly played a role in that. And I think when I talk to friends that I've grown up with, immigrant friends in particular, we laugh a lot about how crazy important higher education is to all of our cultures and how much pressure that comes with in, in terms of not only succeeding at a tertiary level in university or, you know, masters and PhDs, but then what that leads to in professions. And like, I often laugh about the Ghanaian community, like my parents and all of our family friends that I grew up with. And a lot of immigrant listeners could probably relate to me here, but 
you know, there's always the conversations that they have amongst each other. And it's not only about even our parents' employment, but it's like how well are the kids doing? Well, you know, the example who's of the who's woman the next that you bumped into? Oh yeah, yeah. I'll talk about that in a moment. But it's like you know, who's the doctor in the family? Who's studying a PhD? Who's doing that? Right. So there's that measuring stick, mm. even that we've all felt in our generation as the children to make our parents proud. And and this is way more prominent in some cultures more so than others. But I remember, yeah, I bumped into um, a South African lady. At the grocery store a couple months back, and um, a woman you don't know, a woman I don't know. Um, but again, the color of my skin prompted her to be like, Wow, okay, I need to speak to him, find out where he's from. But she's a really interesting lady. But the whole time, she was just telling me about how her children are engineers, and one's a doctor, and the other one's got a PhD. Like, literally, we spoke for 20 minutes, and 90% of the time, she was just talking about the qualifications and the professions of her and her children. And I just thought that was really interesting to me because she's obviously really proud, mm. like which is fantastic, but it was like she was leading with that status. Yeah. You know what I mean? Unprompted, like unprompted, but just leading with that status, like almost like she had something to prove. And it was just... And it's interesting because you don't then get to know her as a person. You just really know what her children do. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I just how find awesome that they really, are. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe they're not awesome as people. Yeah. You, you wouldn't know that yeah. just based on what they do for a living. But it's interesting how some people, that's literally all that they maybe care about in life. Is well, I think they care about more, but I think initially mm. how they yeah, choose to interact value. yeah yeah, yeah. On, how, on face value how they choose yeah. to interact with someone they don't know mm. it's dominant yeah. but then as you get to know them you, you get to find out about yeah, their yeah. interests and all yeah. this other stuff but, but we're talking at the moment i guess we're talking about the first sort of things you talk about when you get to know someone yeah and how you want to position yourself in society and the things that they value and how they ask things and vice versa. So yeah. it's just interesting to see that um, interaction. So are there any other examples that you want to share before we move on to the next point? Yes. Um, location status, like where you live has been a really interesting one to watch. The region that I grew up in, and everyone's going to experience this to some extent, but there's obviously you look at a region and you look at all the suburbs or neighborhoods in that region and you're going to have one on the top end in terms of average, you know, property price. And then you're going to have another suburb or neighborhood right at the bottom end. And I just remember even the dialogues that I used to be a part of with friends and being like, even before you meet somebody, sometimes you know where they live. Like they might have, you might know their older sibling or something like that. Mm. Like, oh, so-and-so lives in X, that, that suburb. Yeah. And well, then, they catch this bus, therefore they must live yeah, in this area. Yeah, they must come from there. Or so-and-so lives in this, and you hear my tone of my voice, is saying, oh, they live in like the higher class area, the more expensive area. And I thought that was really interesting. Or you that go we, to their house for like a party or something. and Yeah, or that yeah. too. But even by your postcode, just by your postcode, yeah. we are putting you into classes. Like there could be so many overlapping interests and values between somebody in a suburb with like with million dollar houses and a suburb with two hundred thousand dollar houses, but we we already put them in classes and like I just couldn't believe some of the stuff we'll talk about and put people in boxes just based on where they live. And it's interesting because you come from primary schools, so like mm. grades kindergarten to year six. Mm. That's what it is for us. And then high school seven to ten from the state that we're in, the city that we're from. And you wouldn't even necessarily have to know where they live. You just have to know what primary school they came from because most likely they lived in or next to that suburb. So that's why I think that classification was kind of like you knew vaguely where people lived. You didn't even have to talk to them or ask them. Yep. I think it was just like a mishmash of, ah, oh, they've come from this primary school, therefore they must live in that area. And it's interesting to know that so many parents put pressure on themselves to get their kids into the right 
school and then move suburbs just for that to be able to happen. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's understandable to some extent if they really just want a particular school yeah. or there's a bad reputation for a school that with the in, in their postcode at the moment. Or it's easier, like very rare occasion, it's, you know, that the parent works at that school and it would just be more convenient yeah. for the child to go to school with their, yep. with their parent. So when we were thinking and planning for this podcast, we watched a few different videos around some of the the Nordic countries and every year the UN comes out with a report that's based on the world happiness ranking and the Nordic countries tend have been topping it for probably about a decade, I believe, mm. at least. Different ones, but they tend to be normally... I think Denmark and Finland. And it's interesting just to see from their perspective how status in society doesn't really play a role in their lives and how driving through different suburbs, there's same types of buildings, that there's not like here's the mansions and the, yeah, the, rich you suburbs know, the, re- the richer suburbs and then here's yeah. the government housing. Like I yeah. think it tends to be sort of spread out so that everybody has opportunity to live in different areas so that's not something that they discuss and I'm sure that there's plenty of other European countries and that doesn't have that I imagine that typically the old town or more more so the cities the areas that are a bit more expensive to live in but suburban areas they probably don't have that segregation like you know we do in a lot of different states and territories around Australia. And I imagine it's very similar like that in the States as well. So it's interesting. I think Finland topped it for three years in a row. When they ask people, you know, generally speaking, when they interact with each other, they don't really care too much about the job that they do. They care more about the things that they do as hobbies or their family, you know, A lot of Finns, we'll talk about Finland in particular because that was one of the bigger pieces of content that we consumed. Um, You know, their job isn't something that identifies them. It's just something that they do. You know, they typically finish between four and five o'clock and they leave work. And if they don't leave work in that time, their boss is wondering if they've got too much work on their plate to be able to complete their job. It's kind of like, let's have a conversation if you're unable to do your work in the allocated time. They normally start about eight, so it's Mm. eight to four, but that gives them the opportunity because it's kind of within their culture to get home in time for dinner, to have dinner with their family and everybody sits around the table. And when they leave work, they leave work. They don't Mm. take work home with them. They don't do it on the weekends. They're not on call. Like it's a very different type of mentality Mm. they also have i think it's i can't remember how many weeks a year but they get a a lot of holidays as well and you're encouraged to take as much time off as you want to spend time so people tend to be satisfied with just having a job that they go to that that's not something that show others how they are in society yeah and if anything like that gloating is looked down upon it's frowned upon it's like it's countercultural to a lot of these nordic countries because uh i mean look we have to we have to remember that as well that we're talking about you know highly socialist sort of economies and structures where um you you know goods tax income tax is higher but as a result um there's a lot more government aid and services to help support that economy so it's it's a very different structure to say you know, the US, you know, which is a highly capitalistic economy, which is built on dominance, you know, competition. Mm -hmm. And through that comes amazing things like Apple, like (laughs) like trillion dollar companies and uh, living the American dream and, you know, sort of having exponential income and prosperity and all the reasons why a lot of people would want to go and live in the States in the first place. And I think with that mentality... Because I just want to play on both sides for a second here, but you know, you've got this one approach of win at all costs, work your tail off twenty four hours a day, and then you're Michael Jordan winning the NBA title and telling everybody, "I told you so. I told you I'd do it. I've worked my ass off for it." So you've got that that type of energy, which is part of me enjoys, right? 
then you've got this Nordic culture, which takes that all away. It's like it's more about well, pursuing. Not everybody not, not, is like not, that. We're talking yeah. extreme examples. Obviously, yeah. we can't generalize a whole population or whole country, but. Yeah. You got one side of the spectrum, which is competition and pride and all of that, and then you've got this Nordic culture, and in particular in Finland, what they call sisu, which is a philosophy of not getting too high or too low with things that happen to you. You know, like I think it was a coping mechanism for the bad weather that they, that they get there, mm. in terms of you know um, finding happiness in the ordinary things, like. Um, it's, Going for a it's swim just, in super cold water. Yeah, swimming super cold water, being spending time in the sauna. It's just a job, mm. you know. Like, it, you know, when I heard the stuff, it really hit me hard because I think I probably adopted more of that American sort of mentality of you know what you put in is what you get back, and how much you progress in a certain field is a measure of your success, and that type of energy. And then when when you've got a a, a different perspective that's challenging that mm. it's like oh it is just a job <laughs> it <laughs> like there are probably some more important things than 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 just that and um I, I just think it's fascinating looking at the contrast but the more that we learn about this this way of living even if you don't live in a socialist environment you know why can't we apply sisu more because sisu to me is like minimalism by default it's like it is seeing beauty in the ordinary it is like being content with where you are it is about not getting too high too low it is about taking moments for yourself and for your family and and it's seeing success in a completely different way like success isn't about social class and income and all of these things that you know, you, you're showing to the outside world, you're projecting mm. how other people see you and how you want to be seen. But in Nordic countries, it tends to be more about values and work-life balance and being creative. And, and I think that it's interesting because sometimes they put so much value on that that some people can actually struggle to make sure that they do have that balance because if they do for instance love what they do for work and they're working too hard it can almost seem like a very strange thing in society and they then have to put they put pressure on themselves to make sure that they have everything in balance that they do have hobbies that they do outside of work that that they do spend enough time with their children and that they do have those meals at the table every night and, you know, that they do have a sauna to go to on weekends. So, you're telling me that there's still status? <laughs> yeah. It's not... It, I don't... That's not status. Yeah. That's more like reprioritizing your priorities. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of similar to how we think about, oh, a morning routine will be a really positive influence for our mental and physical health mm. until the morning routine becomes a checklist and it becomes pressure. Yeah. And then it defeats the whole purpose. Exactly. You know, it's kind of like that type of You're situation. You're not pulled towards it. You feel like you you need to be pushed towards it. But another thing, like you touched on minimalism just a, mi- a minute ago, and that's the difference. You know what I mean? Like for Finns, it tends to be that they have less things. They have less space, but they have much more life. I was shocked when we were watching one of these. And we'll link to this in the show notes, by the way, theminimalistvegan.com slash 069. Um, but one of the videos we're watching it was Oprah yeah. going over to um, what, what was it uh, Norway? No, I think she was in Denmark. Ah, uh, she was in Denmark. Yeah, she went to Copenhagen. Yeah, and she was meeting some of the locals there, and she did a house tour. And oh my god, it was the most minimalist house you've ever seen. Like in terms of this high-rise apartment, this family two had two kids. young kids, and their bedroom was tiny. I mean, you wouldn't even you couldn't tell that the house had children. Yeah, but it was like. Not much paintings on the wall, lots of whites and greys, uh, really clean cut and really compact space. But they didn't label it as minimalism. They don't need to over there. It's just the way people appreciate. They just enjoy spending uh, time together. Yeah. Like that's what they value and that's how they put their whole life. And it's interesting because she said, oh, where's your bedroom? And she goes, you walked past our bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> it's just literally like it was 
yeah, it was really interesting. It was it was fascinating, but their idea is that like what like what you just said, it's it's less space, less mm. stuff, more life. Mm. So let's you know we've got this more apartment as a family. We enjoy spending time here. Everything has a purpose, but let's go spend some more time outside as a family. Let's go do yeah. some other things. And I'm like, this is really inspiring. That spend more time um, with friends and yeah. family. Yeah, it's interesting. And I feel like to an extent, you know, having a taste of that life when we lived in Europe, yes, I had toys and my sister and I shared a massive room together the size of some people's apartments, but we put a lot of value on spending time with friends and family. Like that was a big thing. And I imagine for you as well as a child, and it's interesting, I'm seeing that less and less. The parents seem to be busier and like I'm not, judging it's just a different it's a different era you know and a different country as to how things are like our families you know you just randomly pop over to family friends houses like that doesn't really happen anymore no you got to book people in exactly like months in advance yeah. at times so it's just it, again it's a cultural thing but it's also I think things are shifting as time progresses. So yeah, it was actually quite fun to to watch how I really enjoy watching how other people live mm. and how other cultures and societies what their values are and and how that's different to to us. Yeah. And like that makes you rethink, well, am I doing it because I want to do it this way or am I doing it because I feel like that's part of the society that I Yeah, and then also you can quickly become the product of yeah. your society, as you were saying. It's yeah. like, you know, you might look at Japanese culture and they might have minimalist principles in property again, but that might be out of a necessity of space, yeah. for example, mm. and, and population, uh, as well as them disliking simple things. Um, but I can't, again, generalize a whole country, but I know that it's, okay, if I was in a Nordic country and I had a lot of ambition and I had a competitive drive, like kind of out the womb, that's just who I am. Yeah. Well, I feel held back a little bit. Mm. What I feel like because it's, people it's like the slow, like slow yeah. down, like, dude, you're too full on. Yeah. Like you've got that tall poppy syndrome, as they say, like mm. don't be beating your chest around here. That's not how we do it. It's like, yeah. well, maybe that individual will much struggle in that type of uh, social true. construct. But it's interesting because in, one of the documentaries, we actually had an expat Australian from Sydney who got married to a Finnish man. And the plan was that they're moving from Australia to Finland for two years. Anyway, she ended up falling in love and uh, you know, eight years has passed and she's got no signs of moving back to Australia. And she's had a child since. Has, has had a child since. And her perspective was like, it's just like strange that... You, you meet people at a dinner party and you're not talking about real estate <laughs> because in Australia, everyone's obsessed with real estate mm. in the sense of just acquiring property, looking at property, where you live, where this like suburbs, this suburb, that. So no one was really interested in talking about that. Um, in Finland, I'm all talking about your interests and family values and spending time playing ice hockey or whatever. So she thought it was just a really interesting cultural shift and probably refreshing at the same time but at the same time she said that you know it felt that people were suppressing their emotions to to maintain composure and happiness like you know because they they're trying not to respond to bad things sometimes like they don't just have a good old-fashioned whinge or express themselves emotionally so it does come yeah yeah, with some trade-offs there but I do love the fact that, like, you know, the, at least the dialogue is not led with that status, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that could be a really welcoming type of environment to be a part of because it, all of a sudden it's not about you as an individual feeling pressure that you have to be more at a time yeah. to, to fit in or to feel accepted at that level of status. You can just focus on on you. Yeah. And another thing that I just remembered that we, that someone touched upon and I found it really interesting and I think quite a dangerous question to be asking children is what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And I think it can depend on the child as well, but that can put a lot of pressure on a child 
again, you're pigeonholing them based on their interests and what they might feel at that age that they want to do when they get older. So I think we need to start a completely different dialogue around, even from a young age, the types of questions that we ask and how we get to know someone. Yeah. So on that, how do we start changing that conversation and as well as what do you want to be when you grow up and what do you do for a living or all of those things that we've been talking about, how do we change that conversation and what are some of the things that we should start talking about? Yeah, so I think when trying to change the narrative or the context of how we get to know somebody away from the conventional questions is challenging because a quick Google search of you you can type in alternatives to asking what do you do for a living or whatever. And you're going to find all these articles posting all these different types of lists of questions that you could ask. And um, as I was going through some of that, I'm like, oh, some of these sound pretty good. But then other ones, I'm like, would I actually ask that though? Yeah. Or would I just feel like silly? They might even then judge you and go, this person's a weirdo. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's happened sometimes where somebody's really tried, I can't remember specifically, but someone has tried to ask me an opening question that's completely unique. And I'm just like, oh, that's just a bit strange. And, you know. (laughs) I'm going to go now. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) you know, and I imagine it's under the spotlight even more in the dating world and all of that stuff because it can get really awkward. So you want to focus on asking questions that are hopefully not like too loaded. Yeah. Uh, that can overwhelm people or... Um, so what's or, a loaded or, or, question? Or too, yeah, okay. So some of the, the questions which I think are loaded, which I've, exp- I've just learned over time, mm. is like, what are you most passionate about? Now, at the same time, I wouldn't open with asking somebody, what are you most passionate about in general? But the question itself is like, unfortunately from what i learned some people are not super clear on what their passions are and they might be going through and this is a running theme depending on where somebody's at if they're not in a great place um a lot of the questions that lean towards positivity Mm. are like really hard for people to process because somebody can interpret like oh what am i passionate about is what am i passionate about I should be but spiral. Yeah, I I should be passionate about something, but I just don't feel that right now. And it's like meltdown. So that was one of the questions I was recommended and I was like, ooh, I don't know if I would feel comfortable asking that. Another question is, what's the most interesting thing that happened to you recently? It just See, that's a bit strange. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It seems a bit inauthentic. Um, like it's it sounds like they're trying to sound interesting or that they're really trying to get to know you and again I can see that being like asked in a dating scenario where it can really they're already nervous it can yes. really throw them off and go oh my god uh yeah. and then if it's not that interesting, interesting. Yeah, exactly it's like oh the other person feels sort of like let down and then it's like, okay, let me just take mental note. Yeah. This person is boring. <laughs> and this is the, herein lies the issues because, you know, one of the good questions I thought, and I'm about to challenge it is like, you know, um, you know, any, like sometimes I ask people any recent TV shows that you watch that you like, that you could recommend or, you know, and normally people universally can connect around a TV show or music or whatever, but the music question can push buttons yeah but let me just make a point to say here that this is not literally the first no, thing no, that no, you no. ask this is once you've asked a few questions and you're trying to get to know them a bit yeah more yes. yeah it's not like well hi my name is so what kind of music <laughs> do you like i mean some people might lead with that but yeah. still it can be a little bit strange it can be but but even the question though because we're so concerned about status mm. Even how we respond to like what's our favorite music can feel loaded to some people because they want to make sure that they're representing themselves in, in the a, right way, and and, and they want to so show true. they want to show that they have taste. Yeah, and I, so I wouldn't be, be able to answer those questions yeah. because I'm such a varied person, and when I've been asked those questions, I'm standing there scratching my head, going, "Well, I." Like what kind of music? For me, it's more like the song. I, yeah. I'm not going to pigeonhole myself into a particular genre or multiple genres. For me, it actually literally comes down to the song. Yeah, I might like one song in 
one genre and then another song in the same genre. Yeah. You know what I mean? For me, it might even just be actually more, well, what musician are you currently enjoying listening to? Yeah. But so, again, if you're not into music, that might be a really loaded question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Clearly, you know, that's bringing you some anxiety, even just talking yes. about music. So so don't ask me that yeah, question. <laughs> the, the, the other one that was recommended, which I'm not sure about, is uh, what's the best part of your week so far? Yeah. Again, it just didn't seem authentic. Especially people in lockdowns, like, exactly. like getting an answer yeah. out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try asking our families at the moment, <laughs> what's been the best part of your week? <laughs> or hang up the phone. Um, <laughs> this <yeah>. conversation? <laughs> um, this is one that I've heard. I think you threw this one around, but we weren't sure about it. Um, but I've heard people say it to me and maybe you too, but, you know, what's your story? But I've heard people say it to me like, oh, what's your story? Like a party? What's your story? And like, okay, it's um like from day yeah. one, like from coming Which into this up. world. <laughs> um, and then this one's not too bad. Um, but what do you like to do? So, I think it's a bit softer than what are you most passionate about? It's a bit more casual. So let's um let's look at some questions that we liked a little bit more than those ones, which didn't feel as overwhelming. Um, and I, I have person. I don't know if you've used this one, but I've personally asked this question, and it seems to be received quite well. But you know, uh, it's what are you most excited about right now? Again, and not the best lockdown <laughs> state question. No, not the best lockdown. But it's. I also find it works really well with acquaintances, so people you don't know really well. Like but, you know them. But you know of them and there's really small talk or you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you can sort of, when you're finally ready to have proper conversation, it's like, oh, well, you know, what are you most excited about right now? Because if somebody's in a negative space, they can still be excited about something negative, you know? So, so it kind of can work in both ways. Um, the next one is what do you do for fun? Again, implying that we can spark up some responses around hobbies because ultimately, I don't know about you, but like... I get really enthused about an interaction when somebody is enthused about what they're talking about. When I see somebody light up, yeah, not like about current affairs and news necessarily, <laughs> um, but when I see somebody light up about something they're really interested in, like, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day, well, I do know him, I'm like, well, what's been happening? It's like, oh, Man- Manchester United lost last night. And the penalty shootout, and I'm devastated. And boom, he was just going on and on about the history of the team and the players and contracts and all this stuff. But he, you could tell he had to be pulled away from the conversation. And that's what I love when people get back to work. Exactly. (laughs) When people are really fired up about something at the moment. And Mm. that to me shows me a lot more about who the person is Mm. than like what they do for work necessarily, you know what I mean? Or where they live. Yeah. Because it's it's showing me their actual personality and what lights them up and how they respond to things, whatnot. So, um, yeah. So, what do you do for fun? Um, a question that that Marshall and I use quite a lot, being relatively new to Tasmania, is you know, have you grown up here? Because again, getting that origin story, where people come from, if they're born here or they've come from the mainland or overseas, um, normally that comes with a great platform for other questions. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Of, of where they're, they're coming from. So I, I would love it if people ask me that rather than assuming I'm not from here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, have you grown up here? And I'm like, no, but I'm from Canberra, but da-da-da-da-da. And then we can start a conversation and making an assumption, but that's another thing. Um, what are your hobbies? Just coming out straight, straight up asking somebody, you know, what their hobbies are. That can be a bit risky if somebody doesn't have hobbies. So that's similar to, I guess, what do you do for fun? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Again, because we're trying to ascertain interests. Yeah. And again, I've asked this question before and particularly around here, people are really, they've got a lot of hobbies, a lot Mm -hmm. of outdoor hobbies, rock climbing, hiking, traveling. And that's always really interesting to see what what people do for leisure, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, and then the last question is um, very kind of retail customer service, but it works, um, is what have you been up to today? Yeah. And But see, that can also, for some people that they haven't done too much that day, it can make them feel 
inadequate or like that they, you know, because a lot of people tend to beat themselves up. <laughs> well, if you're competitive. me. Yeah. That not competitive, but like that you just, oh, yeah, I haven't actually managed to do as much as I planned I have to. done nothing. I've slept. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh boy. <laughs> like how yeah. is that going to be received yeah. on the other end? True, true. So... Or you would hope it'll, it'll, the question will work better the later or you get in the day. Yeah. You would hope. <laughs> but um, as you can look, guys, this is not like black and white or science. And, and, you know, we're not completely comfortable with these questions. So we'd love to hear from you, you know, if you've got any questions you'd like to ask. Or someone's asked you a question that you thought, oh, well, that's really interesting. And it sparked a, a conversation based on values or hobbies or interests or family or... Uh, something more about that person's personality as opposed to like what college they went to or whatever. So yeah. if you've got any questions that you'd like to share, please let us know however you like to reach out to us on social media or uh, on email or whatever. But we'd love to get some more examples. But um, yeah, those are those are some of the questions that we thought about that we're going to... I don't know, are You has this changed the way you might interact with people moving forward? It... I mean, it's not too often that it starts with, especially since we've moved here, that the conversation starts with, oh, what do you do for work? Or it's normally when I go food shopping or when I take the dog out, there's different points of interest that, you know, we already in some ways have in common um, based on what I'm doing. So it's not too often that these types of questions do come up but I'll definitely like catch myself out or because it sometimes takes a bit of time or you start a conversation and you go ah okay this is how I started at this time you know when you become aware Mm. then you can go okay if I started with a question that I don't want to what can I do differently next time yeah yep so honestly at the moment I'm not really sure it's obviously very situational and it will be for everybody. Yeah. But you're not going to just roll out this template, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like to laugh These are it. the 10 <laughs> questions to a great yeah. Hold conversation. On. Hang on. Let me just pull out my phone with my notes first. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. You're, you want this to be natural as possible. But I think the bigger, the bigger thing to remember here is that we do naturally care a lot about status. Yeah. And as much as we would like to escape it, I think we want to come across as valuable as we can to, to our peers, to other people, especially if you've worked really hard. Mm. You know, if you've worked really hard at something professionally, for example, or you've studied your tail off for 10 years straight at the most astute universities, it's part of you that probably wants to be a bit proofy in that situation. I've also known people who have a big status, how we general society measures success you know in terms of wealth and influence and whatnot and they play themselves way down mm. you know what i mean they don't want to lead with that at all um because it might change how you feel about them yeah but in any case i just think that it, it's an interesting thing to think about because the more value we place on status the, the concern is the more we're chasing external validation and it can actually change our behavior to wanting way more than we probably need or we'll be happy with as because like I know people who are literally chasing status to fulfill their happiness mm-hmm. because that's a sign of respect and that's what what's important to them. So and I think that's what minimalism in some ways, not in all ways, in some ways is trying to challenge is to flip that equation of success on its head and not to define everything you are by how big your house is and your job title, what car you drive, what brands you wear. Um, you know, if you just if you if you house. love if you love driving a Porsche mm. because you just love the sound of the engine and the experience and that's one thing. Mm. But if you're buying a Porsche or you're buying a Porsche that you can't afford, even mm. worse just to fit in with a crowd or to prove you belong or to prove you're better than someone, that's that's the issue. That's yeah. the challenge we're up against. 
I think the biggest, um, when you were talking about how someone that has money and they don't want to lead with saying how successful they are, like imagine yourself interacting with someone that you look up to that's famous, right? And how you would interact with them and how you would see them and judge them and put them up on a pedestal before you even got to know them as a person. So I think that's a really interesting, like if you met a famous singer, take away all of their records, all of their glamour and glitz and like what are some of the questions that you would ask them as a human being to get to know them as a person rather than all of the success that comes along with it? Yep, well said. All right. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to add? But I feel like we've kind of, touched on everything that we no no just i think i think i just there's a time and place for status in the sense that in the context of trying to work up the corporate ladder it's in your best interest to probably lead with your status in that field do you know what i mean people are going to want to know if it's important to that field they might want to know your qualifications or what your job history is or whatever there are situations where it might be necessary to tap into that uh, I suppose we're just trying to question what the intent is behind it, you know, and you know when you're getting a bit proofy in those interactions. Um, you know when you might be feeling threatened by somebody else because of their perceived success. You know when you might be looking down on someone else because of their status, you know what I mean? And hopefully by removing that, we can start to put everybody in a level playing field and remove that bias and have great conversations, you know, have great interactions. And like we we can talk to a homeless person just as we can talk to a billionaire and it's all the same. Like it's a different, but, but you're like tennis or something, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, um, yeah. So I hope you can understand the context in which we're talking about this measurement of status but yeah, that's that's all I'd like to, to finish with. All right, let's wrap it up there. Then thanks so much for tuning in, guys. And as Michael mentioned before, all the show notes you'll be able to find at theminimalistvegan.com forward slash 069. And we will link to all of the resources that we mentioned and anything else that we might find helpful that you might enjoy if you found this conversation of value. And please share it with anyone that you think would enjoy this conversation i think that's pretty much it yep thank you so much for tuning in and we'll speak to you again in another fortnight sounds good thanks guys thanks bye